Hey everyone, my name is Mohamed Asadullah and I'm your host for Freelance Canada, a show about what it's really like to freelance in Canada. Each week, I interview Canadian freelancers and industry experts as they get candid about the ever-challenging, always exciting, and sometimes hilarious aspects of freelancing. On the show today, I'm going to talk to Desiree Ajik. Desiree is a product and content marketer, which she says is a formal way of saying she tells stories about software. Desiree currently works at Shopify and has freelanced extensively for fintech companies as a result of her work on Halfbanked, the personal finance blog she started. Today, Desiree and I talk about how Canadian freelancers can effectively market their business and create opportunities to generate passive income. So let's get to it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I, I actually am quite excited too. So maybe we get started by understanding how you got started in freelancing and what's been your experience like so far. I got started freelancing by accident. So <laughs> this is a kind of a funny story, but I started a personal finance blog because I was trying to think about how I was going to manage my own money. And the next logical step was, of course, to write about it on the internet. And <laughs> I did that for about a year and a half, just for free as a passion project. I just loved it. And I was just really focused on it and interested in trying to figure out my own finances. So as I was writing about it, I was trying to promote the blog, trying to make sure it was a helpful resource for people. And I got an email at my blog email address one day saying, hey, I run this website that also talks about money. Do you want to write for us? And I was like, I guess I do want to write for you. Like, that's more money. And I'm really focused on trying to figure out my money. So our interests seem very aligned here. And it was a funny intro. And I think a lot of bloggers will probably identify with this of like the first freelance client really teaches you what the floor is for freelance pricing. <laughs> because the articles, I think I was earning $40 per article. What? And <laughs> I know. And so it was years ago. I was very young. Please don't judge me. But also please never accept $40 for an article as a writer. Um, and that was really the start of my freelancing journey. And I had the opportunity after that to work with a lot of different clients in and around the financial writing and tech space. And that's how I got started freelancing. So you wanted to start focusing on your money and then you decided, hey, I should write about it. And the thought process about, hey, I'm going to write about it, did that come because you were already a type of person that was writing a lot and doing other types of writing and blogging? Or was it more so like, not only am I going to learn to freelance, but I'm also going to learn what it means to create content online? That's a very good question. And I probably should have started there. So <laughs> I think instead of this coming out of the blue, I've always loved writing. So even all the way back to high school, I loved the internet, loved writing. I was very much that generation of predominantly women who got into like HTML and websites because they had a Neopets account. Yes. <laughs> so I had, I had my live journal accounts over the years. So writing online was not new for me. And I also happened to have studied marketing in school and worked as a marketer at the time. So I, I was not new to the concept of blogging, the concept of writing on the internet. So it probably wasn't as out of the blue that I thought I should blog about my budget. 
just the like the combination of who really wants to write about budgeting it turns out was me i was (laughs) i was that weirdo (laughs) (laughs) and now look at you you've got a a fledging website uh, half-banked and you've got partnerships or at least affiliates with well simple coho maybe even borrowell if i recall correctly definitely eq just to kind of like name a few so almost everyone that is looking to plug their product and are looking for influential people clearly are working with you thank you yeah i've been very lucky and it's really interesting because half-banked the blog has never been my full-time income And because of that, I've been really in a lucky place where on the affiliate side, I've been able to say no more than I've said yes. So any of the affiliates that I have, it is such a curated group because it's the products that I actually use. And so I've been so, so fortunate that I've never had to take an affiliate deal or plug a product that I don't personally use because of financial reasons. And I think that that actually in a weird way has made me more successful with affiliate marketing and that kind of passive income stream in my business because I can speak really credibly to the products because I actually use them. And speaking of affiliate income, has that been your primary source of uh, revenue? Yeah, I have experimented with a few different types of revenue in my business over the time that I've been running it. So I've been running Half Bank for about five years and I started with freelancing. So that was the first kind of monetization that I pursued. I added affiliates shortly after that. I tested out a paid product about three years ago. And what I found was the customer support side of it was too much on top of my freelance commitments and my full-time job. So I never launched it again. I said I would, but I didn't. And it's just sitting there. It's like ready. I could sell it tomorrow. Um, So never did that again. But then freelancing was really a nice one to be able to scale up. And I didn't scale it in terms of hours spent on it because it was always on the side of a full-time job. But I was able to scale it in terms of pricing and delivering more value for the time I was spending. Mm. And so working with some of those clients was really great. And then sponsored posts as well was something that I've been lucky to work on some storytelling projects on Half-Banked specifically, not just for the clients I work with. And those have been really fun as well to tell kind of a more interesting story than necessarily would fit on a corporate blog based on my own experiences with product. When you mentioned the paid product that's like ready to go tomorrow, how do you define paid product and what is your paid product? Paid products, I think of as kind of the information products that you would see like an ebook or an online course, all of those kind of things. So my specific one was called the Quick Budget Fix, and it was a 20-day email course that you would get over four weeks. And it would give you kind of a 15 minute chunk of things to do to tackle your own budget. And at the end of the 20 emails, if you had done each of the little tasks, you would have a budget that felt good for you that helped you achieve your financial goals. Wow. That actually sounds awesome. So you have this product that can generate income for you, but it it seems that the customer success part of it is what's keeping you from wanting to launch it again. 
Yeah, I think a lot of freelancers, I mean, I hope a lot of freelancers actually don't identify with the problem I ran into because you'll be a better business person than I was if you don't identify with this. But what I found was this was an information text product. And so it was not super high price. I, I don't even remember exactly what I sold it for. I think it was like $39. So it wasn't a high priced product by any means. And so the business model of a lower priced info product is that it's fully hands off. But the problem I ran into was that I really wanted everyone to have like as much success as possible. I really wanted to like, if you give me $39, I will solve your problems. <laughs> and that was a little bit more commitment than I had priced right. into the product. So like I really prided myself on like any question a student sent me, I would answer it within 24 hours. I was running a Facebook group for the people in the course. It was really intense. And okay, I, now as I'm talking through this, I'm like, yeah, I just didn't price it properly. And that was the problem. <laughs> but I just couldn't not over invest in my students success. And that's why it just felt overwhelming at the time. I'm literally only just realizing this now. It's been like three years since I launched that product. <laughs> and now I'm realizing why it didn't work out. <laughs> Maybe we'll, you know, change the name of the podcast to like financial therapy or something of that sort. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of the times when freelancers get started, it's like, hey, this is my rate that I figured out. And this is me just going into working and the more hours I work, the more I'll get paid. Okay. Like a year has gone by and now I'll re increase my rates or whatever it is. And then just maybe I'll find a client on a retainer or something of that sort. And typically just focus on that freelancing part. For you, the idea about creating a paid product, creating an affiliate program, building out additional revenue streams, like how did that come about? I was really lucky in a way that I had a full-time job. And at the time when I was like trying to take interviews for articles from my car outside of my job in the parking lot, <laughs> I didn't necessarily feel that way. But what it always gave me was a really hard stop on the number of hours I could work. And so I always had to be cognizant that at most I had evenings and weekends. And so I always had such a hard limit that I had to think outside the box in terms of if I ever want to do this full time, I have to scale my income to a point where it is sustainable with just the time I have available. And I can't do that by just selling more hours. And so I either had to raise prices on my hours or create more scalable forms of revenue that were not selling my time. And I kind of did both and I had to do both because the clients I was working with at the time, the clients who were kind of my regular sources of revenue only paid so much. Mm -hmm. And I also had found those clients because I had this content-based business in Half Banked where I was still writing about my own personal finances. So I really had this always kind of balanced business between the two and in the days when I thought I wanted to do this full time, I knew for my own personal risk tolerance, I needed the business, whichever arm of it was contributing more didn't really matter, but I needed those arms of my business to be able to support me paying my bills. And I needed that within the confines of the hours that I had at the time. 
I like that a lot because a lot of times I think most of us just think it's like either I work more hours to get paid or I work less hours and I don't get paid as much rather than recognizing that maybe there's opportunities for them to say, hey, maybe I can work less hours or maybe even the same hours, but increase my rates and increase my revenue streams and increase other uh, cash flow uh, opportunities for themselves. So did you identify that affiliate and paid product as a way to go? Or were there other passive revenue generating income that you identified, but narrowed down to these two? I think, and I mean, I've listed out kind of what we've already talked about. So I'm trying to run through in my mind, how did I do this strategically? (laughs) Or how can I assign a strategy to what happened? Right. And I think the affiliates was one that a little bit happened as well. And it happened in a nice way and organically because at the time, you never realize when something's happening that things are growing. And so when I started the blog in 2015, I wasn't really aware that we were about to enter a period of massive growth of fintech companies in Canada or massive growth of the importance of robo-advisors in the financial landscape. If I had, I would probably be retired by now. (laughs) Um, But I was really lucky that as the blog was growing, so were these companies. And so as they started to, in their growth trajectory, look at maybe affiliates is the right thing for us to do many times they reached out to me or I had early conversations with them because I was already writing about it. And the Canadian financial blog landscape is, for better or worse, not as crowded as some countries. And I'm thinking about the US here. Of yes. There are a lot of personal finance bloggers in the States. Yeah. There just aren't quite as many here in Canada. And so a lot of the affiliate companies that I worked with reached out fairly early because I was just one of the only people that they could work with at the time. And so it kind of worked out for both of us. So I unfortunately cannot ascribe much strategy at all to my (laughs) affiliate income streams. But I think the course, my original intent with it was, if I create this once, I can keep selling it. And then that income is not directly tied to my time. And I think if I were to do it again, because I really do think over the next 10 years, online education, no matter what you want to teach, is such an opportunity. And freelancers tend to be experts in a lot of things that they do. Whatever your freelance craft is, whether you're a freelance designer or a freelance developer, or you run an agency or you're a freelance writer, there's a lot outside of the actual skill that you know, like you could be a freelance designer and be an expert at using a very niche design software. And if that software is growing rapidly and no one's selling a course on how to use it yet, that could be a really valuable thing to add to your personal business that you can sell over and over again that isn't just selling your design hours and your craft, but just don't do what I did and plan to be like a one-on-one resource for your students, which takes up a lot of your time. Or if that's your plan, please price it in. Please, please (laughs) charge more than $39 if you're planning on offering one-on-one support. This probably doesn't need to be said, but it would be a good strategic decision to do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I love that. And and I think 
If somebody does decide to charge $39 for something that is downloadable for their audience, perhaps they can even upsell that and say, hey, like, if you still have questions, I'm available on an hourly basis for coaching or whatever it is to kind of go through at this additional cost, or perhaps I'm coming up with another program or I have a special Slack group that's paid only, and then you get to meet with all the other people. And rather than you being the person that has to answer all the questions, people in the Slack group just answer each other's question and you just come and drop in every now and then to, you know, make sure there's conversation flowing and anything that really needs attention gets looked after, but still maintaining the amount of work that you're putting in. A hundred percent. And I've seen so many amazing freelancers do things like this in their business. I recently took a really great $39 webinar where, I mean, the guy obviously prepared slides for it and was live on the call. So if you showed up live, he was there. You got two hours of his time interacting with him delivering the presentation. But then the real business play was that was just a validation for how many people care about this problem. And now he's planning to launch a more focused mastermind where he actually does work with people in small groups to see them through actually coaching them on starting the project that he was talking about in the webinar. And so that is, of course, a much higher priced option and a much more sustainable business model for sure. So I'm all in on the value of like anything under $100 should not come with, you know, your time attached to it, especially when as a freelancer, your time is typically how you would start to monetize. But those kind of products where it's a quick win, you can deliver real value because you know so much about your field, but you can just test to see if people are willing to pay for that solution, test to see what your audience actually wants and do it quickly with a small product under $100. I think that is something that anyone who has even a small audience focused on what they're doing should be testing. 100% agree. I I really, really like that. I, I think this is also a good time to preface that just because we all dream about passive income and just having it there and sitting at a beach somewhere. I mean, I, I think there are still some misconception that passive income means you're not doing anything. And you've talked about it before where you created this product. And then you realize that there was a lot more customer support. Uh, and one thing we didn't even get into is just that just to put together that product does take time itself as well too. So what other uh, misconceptions you've come across that has to do with having these additional streams of revenue? One of the biggest things that I think a lot of freelancers would also have to take into account of how not passive these kind of products can be is that the product that you could teach and teach well, or the product you could write about or create because you know it so well is because you've invested so much of your time in becoming an expert at what you do. And Mm -hmm. so that is also not something that people can just pull out of thin air. You've invested time in your craft, in your skills. And so if quickly you could write those down and monetize it, it's still not passive because you spend a lot of time being able to do that quickly and get the knowledge that you're putting into your educational product or your info product or whatever you're going to sell, there's also investment there. And so I think the other thing with the passive side of it is the marketing. And this is something that info products won't just sell themselves, but 
it's an interesting one as a freelancer because you already do have a reputation. Your audience might be small. It might be just kind of in a very niche community that you serve. Maybe you work primarily with marketing managers in software as a service businesses in Toronto. Among those people, you might be very well regarded. And if you can create a product that solves their needs, they might buy it. But it's because you've built the reputation. If you have a good reputation with those people, that's your audience. And if that's who you're selling to, that's great. If, on the other hand, you have this great reputation with these marketing managers, but you want to sell to designers, you need to find out where designers are hanging out. You need to market to those designers, and then you need to build credibility with them. So that is also an investment of time before you can make passive income selling them an informational product or a course. So there, there really is a lot that goes into it. Although if you've built up an audience and you understand them and you're really good at what you're eventually going to teach them, it can feel easier. But just because it feels easy doesn't mean that it's not based on work you've already done. I, I think this is a very good segue to essentially understand marketing a little bit better. Because for most freelancers or most people thinking about freelancing at least, it said, hey, I'm going to start freelancing because I have this experience and I'm going to go ahead and do it, only to then realize that actually you have to essentially build a business from scratch practically and you have to either have a network to then be able to drive sales or at least reasonable marketing experience to then be able to position and market and grow your business in that matter. So given that you've been talking about how even from a product standpoint, you have to go about marketing product. I'm curious to understand how you went about marketing your business. The biggest thing when it comes to marketing is understanding what problem you're trying to solve in your business. And this example that you've started us off with is really great because if the problem is you have just started and you have no clients, that's a very well-defined problem. And <laughs> you would look at your marketing as any efforts to get in front of people who want to hire you and are able to hire you. And so maybe, again, let's keep the example of marketing managers in software as a service businesses in Toronto. Let's say you have services that they need, start looking at what networking events they go to, follow them on Twitter, connect with them, ask your network if they know anyone who is in this role and ask if they can make an intro, ask if you can have informational interviews with them, start to research that audience of people understand what their needs are and understand how you can, number one, reach them, and number two, offer services that fill a need for them. And that's realistically a lot of business strategy as well as marketing, but that business strategy is going to guide you down the funnel towards like the tactic that is going to work. So a lot of times we start with, okay, I need to be marketing. So here's a list of tactics I'm going to do. I'm going to run a Facebook ad. I'm going to start an email list. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start all these things. But before you do any of those things, you have to understand what problem you're trying to solve, who your audience is, and what you offer them. And from there, if you have that core understanding, it'll be a lot easier to figure out where to invest your time in marketing and how your marketing efforts are actually going to help you close a client. I think that alone is a very nice breakdown of how freelancers should be thinking about marketing because I loved how you incorporated the business and the overall planning and then getting to the tactics at the end. 
you know, here's a plan that I've put together and here's how I'm going to do my business. And, and typically we've seen this happen quite a lot where people put together this really long business plan and then they start the business and none of it applies. So <laughs> with that same mentality, what hurdles have you run into as you've marketed your business? I think the biggest hurdle is starting. It's getting your feet wet with that first project. And for me, I mean, obviously my investment in marketing was the money I left on the table writing for $40 an article <laughs> for a year. And I took on other clients during that year using the fact that I understood freelancing and I understood that, okay, well, I'm already spending time on these $40 an hour projects. So next one, I'm going to charge $100 an hour because I need to, because I only have so many hours that I can sell. Right. So without digging too much into that, to get over that hurdle of having this like beautiful plan that's super perfect, get those decisions at a high level. I mean, a one sentence answer of like, how do I serve my clients and what do they need from me? And start testing that, reach out to people and see if they're willing to pay for it. And it's a lot harder to test a freelance service. But I think even in every freelance project, and I can only speak to my experiences, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but every project I've done has taught me something that has left me better prepared for the next one, whether that's understanding that I could ask for more money or showing me a better process or running into a tricky issue that I know I'm going to avoid on the next project. And so testing and iterating is I think the best way to quickly figure out if your plan is going to work and how you can make it better. Has there been a time when you've told someone that maybe it's not in their interest to market their business and maybe uh, a sales-oriented approach might be better? Definitely. I think that a lot of us think we have to be doing all the marketing all the time. But that comes back to what problems are you trying to solve with marketing? If you're stressed out because you don't have time to be on Instagram stories and TikTok and Twitter and running your newsletter and doing a website because, you know, doing all those things is marketing, don't you know? And like, I have to do the marketing. But at the same time, you are drowning in client work. You're getting referrals. You're getting all of those things. The problem is not that you need to market more. And so if you're if you are in that place where let's say you've got a wait list of clients, your problem is that you probably need to raise your prices. And so maybe marketing could help you raise your prices. Maybe a quick update of your website could make you either feel more confident or be better able to justify charging a higher price when new client projects come in. But your problem is no longer, I need to get clients. And so just really always coming back to like, what problem am I solving? And if it's not a marketing problem, maybe you don't need marketing to solve it. I'm taking a moment here to digest all of this because I'm also like, yeah, that makes total sense. I like how you've structured it. And I definitely appreciate your approach to it being so logical, if that makes sense. <laughs> right? It's not. It's, it's always, it's only ever logical when it's not your business. Yeah. Again, this is the person who is like, yeah, it seems strategic in retrospect. So, like, let's just say it was strategic. And yeah, I should sell my time for like $39 one time. Like, that, this is going to be a good business decision. 
question I did have is, or at least freelancers that I've talked to, is they'll start their freelance business and it's like, okay, I need to market my business. And you've touched on this as well, is that they'll start going on every different platform. They'll be on TikTok, they'll be on Twitter, they'll be on Facebook. And perhaps you also maybe made this same mistake earlier on as you were getting started. I don't know. I'm curious to learn if there's been optimum theory that you've now come to to say that, hey, like I've noticed these trends and these are sort of like the strategic or the tactical or hacks even uh, in terms of how people can grow or accelerate their marketing efforts. My journey is an interesting one to learn from because I could easily say the most valuable part of my marketing was running my own website, but I think it's valuable because of the freelance clients and the type of freelance work that I did. And so I was freelancing as a financial writer. My website showcases my work, financial writing. And so it was a very natural fit. And I actually did maintain a lot of social media profiles because driving traffic to my website got me an audience for my financial writing, which made me more valuable as a financial writer. If you are doing a much more niche service-based freelance kind of only, let's say, business, then you should be looking, if your goal is to get in front of the right people who can hire you, You can do that, but understand where they hang out online. So you don't need to be on every social media platform, but if your target audience of people who tend to hire you within companies or for their own businesses hangs out on Instagram, you should hang out on Instagram because that's where you're going to connect with people. And then I would also say you should have your own website. And the website is not necessarily just for building an audience or building your list. If I was running like just a new freelance business today where I was trying to make it easier for clients to find and hire me, I would want them to find me on the social media platform that they already use. So figure out what that was and build a profile there and then build a website that when when they're interested and they find me on that social media profile that I have, they click through to my website and they can see examples of what I can do for them. And whether that's case studies or a design portfolio or articles about the thing that I want to write for them about or a business that I run that is aligned with what they want to do for their business and shows that I can do it, that's how I would use my website. And so those two things are what I would do if I was starting today and I wanted to get in front of the right people and make it easier and less of a hard thing for them to want to hire me. How many of your clients currently follow this path? Or I feel you're definitely at a part now where most people that are in the industry that would be a potential client already know you, whether it's from your website or from your social platforms. Am I right to assume that? Yeah, the financial space in Canada, is it's just <laughs> a very small world. <laughs> what advice do you have for Canadian freelancers who are looking to you know, start their business, or maybe they have started their business, but they've recognized that perhaps they haven't been giving their business as much of a marketing push as they could, or they've been just pricing themselves out and looking to create more passive income opportunities. 
I'm going to tackle this in three parts because I think you've asked three really good questions there. There's what should you do if you're just starting out? There's what should you do if you need to raise your prices? And there's what should you do if you're looking at passive income? And so if you're just starting out, be scrappy, try to get your first client as quickly as you can and learn from that project. And to do that, figure out who is actually hiring you, what value you provide for them and where they're hanging out and just like go to those places. And whether that's when in-person networking comes back, whether that's Twitter, wherever it is, just be there, be ready to sell to them, get that first client is what I would do first. If I had to raise my prices, I would probably invest in making sure that my value was obvious before someone reached out to me. So even if it's a referral, even if it's someone found you on Twitter, when they go to your website or they try to dig a little bit deeper into, should I actually work with this person? It's a lot easier to get a yes to a higher price if by the time they reach you, they already know you can do what they need to hire you for. And so as a financial writer for me, if someone's read my website and they're like, I want exactly the kind of writing that you already do and they have money to pay for that, it's a no brainer for them once they've reached out to me to say like a yes or a no, but to a a premium price, quite frankly, which I now charge for my financial writing. And then the last thing is if you're thinking about adding passive income, think about what unique value you can deliver and how people are going to find it. If you can sell even like, let's get out of this like sub hundred dollar price point. If you can sell a $500 course that teaches a skill to the clients you already have that they can then self-serve, it frees you up to not offer that kind of like lower tier service anymore, charge more for your premium consulting on top of it and empower your clients to be better at what they do. That's a great win. And maybe that's how you look at passive income. Maybe it's something a little bit lighter weight. There's a tool you really love and they have an affiliate program sign up so that anyone who's already taking your recommendation because you're a very credible user of that tool and have written about it a few times, monetize the links that are already there. That's a, that's a much lighter weight way to start than a $500 course. So maybe flip those around and, and try the links first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the one thing that I've noticed recently, at least, is freelancers that are creating products for other freelancers where they are further ahead. So let's say somebody is a uh, developer and they are further ahead in their freelancing career, but they recognize that there are now other developer that are coming into the mix and they're looking to kind of figure out how to get started. So I've noticed that you'll have freelancers that'll create some sort of templates, create some sort of packages, and then market those to new freelancers that are coming into the market and essentially send it to them. So it's not just, you know, limited to potential business customers or corporate customers or whoever, but also to the freelance community itself that can buy from you. A hundred percent. I think it's super interesting as well. And I've seen a lot of that, a lot of freelancers teaching smaller parts of their skill set so that maybe freelancers who are less experienced will learn from them. 
But I think the biggest thing that I take away from that, like in your example of a developer who freelances teaching how to freelance to other developers, is that you should never limit yourself to just the craft that you sell as part of your freelancing, because you know a lot more than that. If you're a freelancer, you're running a business where what you sell happens to be your skills. But as part of that, you're learning how to run a business that is very specific to what you do. You're learning a lot about the companies that you work with and the industry dynamics that you work within. You're learning a lot about the tools that you work with and how you've set them up to work best for your business. You're learning a lot about how to manage your time and how to manage your energy and your attention. You've learned how to figure out your accounting and do all of your taxes and you you've learned a lot. And so just don't ever limit yourself to the opportunities that are just within your specific skill set because your skill set is a lot bigger than you think it is. I love that. And I think this is also a good place for us to wrap up and where can people find out more about you and your work online? Thank you so much for having me. First of all, this was a delight, Um, but I will take that plug opportunity and tell you that the personal finance blog that I have been talking about this whole time is halfbanked.com. And you can also find me on my personal website, which is Desiree, D-E-S-I-R-A-E dot C-A, which yes, is a flex that I have it. I'm very proud of that domain. (laughs) Since our interview in mid-July, Halfbank was acquired by Wise Publishing. While the financial details about the sale aren't publicly available, Desiree did mention that this is another way to monetize your work. Well, that's our show for today. If you like Freelance Canada, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter by visiting freelancecanada.fm. You'll get access to all of my personal notes, as well as book recommendations about the topic discussed in the episode. Now, you will not find any of this on our website, so be sure to subscribe if you don't want to miss out. As with most podcasts, you can listen to every episode through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot if you could leave us a five-star review. It would mean even more if you shared a podcast with another freelancer so it can help them in their freelance journey too. Finally, if you're tired of leaving money on the table because you don't know which of your expenses you can write off, then sign up for Benji. You can start your 90-day free trial by visiting betterwithbenji.com because freelance life is better with Benji. Thanks for listening.